The video is based on a book, as you saw, A Walk One Winter's Night. Mike, if you remember correctly, you sent this to me last year um, around Christmas time. And I, it was a video of, of the author reading the book, and I saved it for this year. It really was very impactful. I encourage you, by the way, if you look on YouTube and go to Dave Ramsey, A Walk One Winter Night, it will pop up, and you can see the author reading the book. Uh, basically, the gist of the book is something like this. Um, a man goes for a walk one night. He's troubled because of the hustle and bustle of Christmas, because life just seems to be so intense, so so fast. That it won't slow down. He's troubled. He's troubled because of what Christmas had become, um, not what it should be. And as he's walking down the road this one winter's night, he comes across a nativity scene. He sees it off in the distance, and for some reason he's drawn to it. And just like this set, and this set is one of those excuse the word, cheap plastic sets you see at Walmart, you'll see in the yard sometime. And just like in the book, that's what it was. And he was sitting there looking at it, and, and all of a sudden it seemed like he heard a voice speaking. And it caught him totally off guard. It seemed so real. And the voice was that of a female. And the voice said, this isn't me. This isn't real. Let me be me. And he realized that he was hearing the voice of Mary. And he went on, she wanted to explain in, in the book and in, in the dialogue and the monologue that took place there how that when you look at Mary here, you see a pristine young woman. Like he points out how that Mary always wears blue. And coincidentally, and I appreciate Laverne getting this set for me, she has a halo. She's done, she has no odor, she has no smell, and she would tell you, that's not real. Let me be real. The real Mary would, and, and let me pause here, and I'll, you'll see where it ties in. Um, I can't thank you enough for the affirmation that the Holy Spirit gave me with Robin's song, with his message. I was talking about, you'll hear it in the message today, how God uses ordinary people. And I'm sitting on the front row with a nervous stomach coming back off vacation, hoping this all tie together. And, and God sends a song that a lady wrote a couple years ago to use this morning to have nothing else to affirm the pastor that this is the message for the hour. Really cool. It's really cool. But, but we would know that Mary was 12 to 14 years old. Um, she was illiterate. The only Bible training she would have had would have been her dad at home or perhaps a little teaching in a synagogue. She was traveled no more than, than a few miles from her home. And she had all the fears that you would have if an angel showed up to you and said, I know you're not married, but you're going to become pregnant. And by the way, that child is going to be the savior of the world. Her world is like our world is so imperfect because there'd be judgmental glances. There'd be danger. There would be disown, you know, people disowning you, family not believing you, a fiancé not believing you initially. All of that would have been there. She would have struggled with the donkey ride to Bethlehem. That would have taken several days. She would have gone to labor either on the donkey or shortly after getting to Bethlehem. She would give birth in a dirty, stinky stable. There would have been animal manure around the building. She would have had her own. She'd been her own midwife. Joseph would assist it as he could. And you ladies, we men have no clue what it's like to have a baby in intense pain, 
and suffering. And she would have had doubts. What, have, what has happened to me? What is happening to me? What's going to happen to my child? What's going to happen to us? But we don't want to do that. We want to put Mary on a pedestal and we will put a halo over her head and make her not real. And, and we do that all through the Bible. That's the crazy part. Every biblical character just about, we take and put on some pedestal some way. And I really think it's a travesty to the Word of God. Because even a casual look, a casual reading of the Bible is going to show you something. That virtually every biblical character, starting in the very beginning, every biblical character was real. They had sin. They had doubts. They had fear. They failed God. They sometimes recovered from that failure. But the bottom line is, the Bible is filled with ordinary people who trusted an extraordinary God. And when we deny that, when we choose to put these people on pedestals, or when we choose to take Mary or Joseph or the wise man or the shepherds, and when we take them and put them on pedestals, we rob them of the power to be our example and speak into our life. I told you a couple weeks ago that it's so vitally important that we delve into the Word of God, that we get beyond a speaker speaking to us on Sunday morning, that being our dose of the Word of God for the week. How emphatically important it is that we become students of the Word of God, that we find time each and every day to get into the Word of God so the Word of God can get into us. And then when you tie that in, when you combine that with letting people be real, all of a sudden you understand that you had a person like Mary who may have some of the same struggles that you have. And Joseph had some of the same struggles you have. And the Word of God becomes real. It becomes alive. It becomes personal. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, the Bible says this, Therefore, since we also have a, such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us. And this follows Hebrews chapter 11, the chapter of faith, where it tells story after story after story after story of the, of the faith and the sufferings of people. Real people. Not people with pristine halos. Real everyday people just like us. And the author of Hebrews says, because we have that cloud of witnesses, because we have these examples, it encourages us and helps us as they go on. Let's lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let's run with endurance the race that lies before us. So consequently, when, when we let people in the Bible be real, and then we study the Bible and look at the Bible, as they speak in our lives... We find encouragement to overcome the I can'ts, I won'ts, um, I, I, I refuse to, um, it's not possible. Because we saw someone who, if it was a male, put their pants on the same way we did, or a woman puts their dress on the robe on the same way we do every day. And we realize the same victory and power that they have can be ours. See, God uses ordinary people. A song was written that goes like this. Just ordinary people. God uses ordinary people. He chooses people just like me and you who are willing to do as he commands. God uses people that will give him all no matter how small your all may seem to you. Because little becomes much as you place it in the master's hand. 
So you get a person like Abraham, who was a pagan. Three major religions claim Abraham, a pagan, initially, as their father of their religion. Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. All anchor themselves in this man named Abraham, a historical figure. And you know what? The Bible says, not because he was a pagan, he, didn't, he wasn't a God follower. The Bible simply says this, that God called him and he obeyed. And the Bible says Abraham believed God and God counted it as righteousness to him. Abraham had faith and he counted his righteousness. And, and when that becomes real, it becomes personal. It becomes applicable to our lives. You've got a young kid named David who's the rut of the bunch. And when, and when the prophet comes looking for a candidate for king, he goes after son, after son, after son, after son, and then finally says, don't you have anything else? Well, yeah, there is one more, and he's out taking care of the sheep. We'll bring him in. And God chooses that shepherd boy to be the greatest king in Israel, an ordinary man. Yeah, you could say that, yes, Abraham was a, was a man of faith. You could say that David was a man for God's own heart. But they were just ordinary people. Elijah. Elijah, one of the greatest prophets ever in the Old Testament. And yet, as soon as he experienced a great victory, goes into a fit of depression. And runs because of the threat of one woman. Ordinary people. God uses ordinary people. And just the way that God has challenges for these people, he has challenges and wants to use us. Oh, I know, ladies, sorry, there was only one Mary, only one mother of Jesus. But the challenge and the mission that he has for us often can be, at least some ways, as great as we are obedient to him in his calling. So here's what's going to happen. Over the next few weeks ending the Sunday after Christmas, we're going to look at how these people whisper to us, and hence the title, sermon title, the series title, Whispers of Christmas, how they whisper to us from the Word of God about how they were obedient, how they served, how they gave, how they worshiped, how they encouraged. We're going to look at their lives. Not, not the pristine look here. Not Mary without a stain. Laverne washed these, she told me. Um, but, but not without a stain, but the real Mary and the real Joseph and the real shepherds and how we can learn as they whisper to us from the Word of God. Now, you know, and, and i got to be very careful because we have a message plan coming up where I don't want to double preach a message, but you know that God, you know, before the foundation of the world, God was planning redemption of fallen man. Before they even fell, the plan was in place. And, and throughout the Old Testament... God used many forms, but he used prophets. He used prophets to speak to the people. And in one particularly dark time in Israel's history, history they, were, they were somewhat disobedient. And, and God was saying that there's a time of darkness now, but there's coming a time of light. In Isaiah seven fourteen, here's what it says. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. God used an ordinary man named Isaiah to bring forth his message. And God said these are dark times. And this verse has an immediate connotation of hope as a sign to the king. But the far-reaching is greater than that. 
It speaks of a king, a deliverer, far greater than a local man. It speaks of the Savior of the world. Therefore, the Lord himself, not, not some advertising agency, the Lord himself will give you a sign, will give you a recognizable sign. How powerful is that? A virgin's going to conceive. You know, I was, as I was studying for this, they said that some people, some religions in the world try to tie in some mystic, um, that, that the idea of a virgin conceiving came from another religion, not the Jewish, not Jehovah God. And the author simply said, that's not true. This idea, this idea was so far-fetched, no other religion, no other religion, no other religion could even conceive of a virgin conceiving. Without the help of a man. How cool is that? See, God is always way out there. Come on. God is really way out there. And he was way out there on this. He said, I'm going to cause a virgin to have a child. In fact, even the Jewish people, it seems so far-fetched to them that they often used the words that virgin young woman. It was just a far-fetched idea. But God knew what he was doing. He said, you see, a virgin is going to conceive and you're going to bear a son. And this son will be called Emmanuel or God with us. God had a plan that involved his son coming to earth, strapping on a human body, living and dying for the sins of the world. That's what Christmas, that's what the life of Jesus is all about. How incredible is that? The virgin shall conceive. And bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Well, you probably know that the last book in the Old Testament is the book of Malachi. And it was God's last written word in the Old Testament. And one of those verses there says this. But for you who fear my name, for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves. From the stall. The son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. That's like three verses before the end of Malachi. And bam. Like that. God falls silent. Decades go by. More decades go by. And God says not a word. A century goes by. And God is totally Silent. 400 years. Say it with me. 400 years. And God didn't say a word. I am sure, and I know I know from, from the studies of the history of Israel, these were hard times because God was silent. Has there been silence in your life? It seemed like God had signed off. Imagine 400 years. Years of silence. And then, like that, he speaks. He sends an angel, Gabriel, to a priest named Zechariah. Now, there are two named angels in the Bible. You can press somebody with this fact. There are two named angels in the Bible. One is Gabriel, and when you see the name Gabriel, you know that God is fixed to speak, that he is the messenger of God. The other is Michael. You send Michael when you want to pick a fight and win. It's like William Wallace. 
I need your accent, David. Where are you going? I'm going to pick a fight. So when Gabriel came, God was about to speak. When Michael came, there was going to be a fight. God sends Gabriel to a guy named Zechariah. And I've got to keep this brief because it's a big story. Um, but he sends Zechariah was a priest. And Zechariah was married to Elizabeth. And they did not have a child. And they were getting on up in their years. And it was such a disgrace in that culture for them not to have a child. And Zechariah's turn was to go and serve in Jerusalem. And he got chosen by Lot to go into the Holy of Holies to present the incense, which represented the prayers for the, of the people and to pray for the people. And while he's there, guess who shows up? Gabriel. And Gabriel has a message. I have been sent by God to you. And briefly, here's the deal. We know, God and I know, we all know that you don't have a child. And we want you to know that Elizabeth, your wife, is going to conceive in her old age. And she, she is going to have a son. And, and, and listen, Zechariah, you're going to name him John. And he will be the forerunner of the one to come. He will be the forerunner of the one to, to announce the Savior of the world. He will be the one who calls the people to repentance, turning back to God. After 400 years, turning back to God. Zachariah kind of doubted and said, well, you know, we're kind of old. And <laughs> Gabriel, Gabriel goes, listen, I, I, I stand in the presence of God, and God sent me. So here's the deal. Since you doubted, I'm going to seal your lips, and you will not be able to speak again until the birth of the child. So he goes out, can't speak, goes home and, and, and translates probably to Elizabeth's uh, somehow that she's going to conceive. This is what's going to happen. You're going to be our son. And sure enough, she conceives, and, and she becomes pregnant with a child. Four years, God didn't speak, and then he speaks. And then, about six months later, it happens again. Gabriel once again becomes the messenger of God. And that's where our Christmas story really narrows down. The Bible says in the book of Luke, chapter 1, and verse 26, in the sixth month, and now you know where the sixth month is, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, okay, about that time, the Bible says the angel Gabriel was sent from God. He was sent on a mission to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. God is about to announce a rescue plan. God is about to announce the coming of his son, the savior of the world. Now, get this. There's, there's one thing there. Let me just read it to you again. We got time. In the sixth month from the angel Gabriel uh, was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, I made a joke when I was preaching at the IBSA meeting about the fact that in order to go to Harrisburg, you kind of got to be going to Harrisburg. I mean, we would have people come. We've had people come through and stop at the church and say, hey, we need a little gas money or something. Okay, so, so listen, so where are you going? And they'll say something like, we're going to Los Angeles. And I'm going, I, I mean, I know where Harrisburg is. And I'm going, so exactly how are you in Harrisburg? Because there's not a major interstate going to California through Harrisburg. Because you kind of got to be going to Harrisburg to get to Harrisburg. I mean, our, our claim to fame is probably the fact that we're named the same thing as Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. 
I mean, people go to Pennsylvania. Uh, Harrisburg, oh, Pennsylvania? Well, Nazareth was a nowhere town. I mean, it's not even mentioned in the Old Testament. It's claimed to fame is that there was a company of priests there. I mean, that, that's all there was. That, that's a big claim to fame. And the Bible says that there's a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Joseph who? Well, Joseph a carpenter. Oh, you mean like he owns a large furniture company? No, no, Joseph, just the carpenter. And this virgin, yeah, her name is Mary. Now, now, get this, write this down. There's something there that you need to see. Do you see how common it is? Come on, if we were going to send the Savior of the world and we're going to look for a place for him to be from, I know he came from Bethlehem, he was born in Bethlehem, but from Nazareth? I mean, you know, Nathaniel said, can anything good come from Nazareth? I mean, wouldn't you pick like Jerusalem? Wouldn't you pick a bigger and better place? If you're going to find a virgin, wouldn't you find a king's daughter? If you're going to find an earthly father to kind of watch over this guy, wouldn't you find someone who's like very prosperous, could really have the ability to take care of the child? God did none of that. It's all so common. And that's beautiful because guess what we are? common. In fact, look at the 12 disciples. They were common. It's amazing how God takes the ordinary and can do extraordinary things through him. Perhaps that's one of the reasons why. Maybe that's why, because if we're extraordinary, we may get the idea we don't need God. And God keeps us ordinary and helps us understand we're ordinary, showing us we need an extraordinary God. Listen to this. I thought this was really, I told you, I said, gee, listen to this. This is from one of the commentaries. Mary, from all indicators, her life would not be extraordinary. She would marry humbly, give birth to to numerous poor children, never travel farther than a few miles from home, and one day die like thousands of others before her. A nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. I like that. A nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. Now, some of us would push back from that, but don't. Let Mary be Mary. Let her be a gentle, kind-hearted woman. Yes, young woman. Probably 12 to 15 years old. Probably 12 to 14 years old. A woman who, a young woman who would be um, just crazily filled with, with doubt, as you would too. Betrothed to a man. Betrothed simply meant this. It was stronger than our engagement. It lasted about a year. The marriage was arranged. At some point, they became betrothed. She would still live with her parents, but it was, like almost, it was almost like being married without any kind of physical relationship. And he'd still live with mom and dad. That's how strong it was. And something's about to happen to her, happen to her that's going to rock her world like crazy. Let Mary be Mary. Because the truth is, we need that. We need to know that when, when difficult times come, that just like Mary was being overcomer by the strength of God, we can be overcomers. Let Mary be Mary. Let, let Mary, with all her insecurities and yet faith, speak into our lives. Whisper into our lives. So it goes on. 
In verse number 28, and Gabriel, and he came, and Gabriel came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. Greetings, O favored one. Now, this is where, this is where, and we'll talk about it just at the end of, of this part of the message, but this simply means, O one of, O grace experiencer, O, o object of God's grace. See, what was about to happen in Mary's life was simply God's grace. It was not that Mary, you know, Abraham did nothing to deserve his his righteousness. He simply believed God. David didn't deserve to be the king. He proved that later on with Bathsheba and murder. Elijah wasn't perfect. He failed. Mary was the mother of Jesus because of God's sovereignty and grace. The one thing she brought to the table is the very same thing we're going to end with today, and that is she said yes. You know, know, Matthew and Bethany have been mentioned this morning. They are where they are being used by God, how they are because they said yes. And every one of us have opportunities when God speaks into our lives, and all we can bring to the table is yes. And that's powerful. That's powerful because so often we say, I can't because I don't have the talent. I can't because I don't have the time. I can't because I don't have the resources. I can't, I can't, I can't. All God wants you to do is bring yes to the table. Experience and embrace his grace. Oh, oh, favored one. No, no merit on our own. Just like Abraham. This is beautiful because that's how we're saved. Have you figured that out? That's how we're saved. Did you figure it out yet? That when you come to your altar, wherever salvation occurred in your life, whether you were driving down the road or was at this church or another church, or whether you are in your room or mom and dad were talking to you in the bedroom, when you came to that altar and experienced God's grace, you didn't bargain with God and say, God, I want you to know something. You're getting a really good deal here. It is Black Friday day for you. You're getting, you're getting a talented person. You're getting a, a good person. You couldn't bring any of that to God. We can really only do, do what the publican said. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I love that because let, let me read to you. I'm, I'm trying to stop where to break this. It's several verses. I'll try not to, to go too long. It's only like four verses. This is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. For he chose us in him, Jesus, before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now, there ain't no way we're going to be holy and blameless outside of Christ. Amen? We ain't got it in us. He goes on and says this. He predestined us to be adopted through Jesus Christ for himself according to his favor and will to the praise of his glorious grace. Here's key word. That he favored us with in the beloved. You see that? He favored us. That's the verb form of O favored one, the noun. It simply means to be lavished with the grace of God. So you are, if you're a believer, if you're a Christ follower today, you're a Christ follower for one reason. Not what you brought to the table, but what God lavished on you. And that's his grace. And Mary... Mary was the mother of Jesus because of the sovereignty and grace of God. And Joseph was the earthly father of Jesus by his sovereignty and by the grace of God. Isn't that cool? Listen, it really is all about grace. 
It really is. It goes on and says this. Might as well read the rest of it. Let's see. Um, verse 7. We have redemption in him through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished, he poured, he, he put on us with all wisdom and understanding. So, so when Luke writes this, Luke the doctor writes this. He says, Mary, speaking for God, Mary, you, you are a favored one. You are the spotlight of God's grace. Was it a special calling? Oh, yeah. Was it wonderful that she was the mother of Jesus? Oh, yeah. But all she brought to the table is yes. And as God speaks to us and calls us and uses us, it's not so much about our abilities. It's what we do when we say, yes. Yes, Lord. Yes. And he goes on and says this, and we'll move on. Oh, favorite one, the Lord is with you. Say amen. amen. Not only did God bestow his grace, but he said, Mary, you don't walk this road by yourself. It could be hard. I did read where they said, most likely now, this would not result in stoning because that practice had probably discontinued. But the disdain, the judging looks, the, the having a child out of wedlock stigma would follow Mary all of her life. But Mary, you won't walk by yourself. I'll walk with you. And you know what? God walks with you too. He said, I promise, Hebrews 13, 5, I promise to never leave you, never leave you, never leave you, nor forsake you. When things get hard, and they will, when circumstances get bad, and they will, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'll never leave you, nor forsake you. Well, Mary was troubled, and you would too, verse 29, but she was greatly troubled at the same and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. I love this because it shows the humility of this woman. Why are you saying I'm favored? I'm a nobody. Would to God that we were more like Mary in that case. We won't tell God how good we are, how big we are, and tell other people how spiritual we are. But she says, I'm, I'm troubled with this. I've done nothing. And that's right, Mary, you have not. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found grace. You have found favor with God. Mary, don't be troubled. You don't need to be afraid. And that's what grace does. When we start really understanding grace, fear is gone. When we truly understand grace, you know, so many of us walk through our lives fearful that somehow God's going to let go of us. Not if you're held by grace. Because grace doesn't depend on you, it depends on God. We put way too much. We, we just keep thinking we're trying to hang on to the hand of God. Uh-uh, he's got me. He's got me. You found favor, Mary. You found, you found faith. You don't have to be afraid. And I really think, let me just nail one more thing down about Mary. And again, it's incredible who she was and the fact that she said yes and all of that. But the danger... Of putting the halo on Mary is we make her and other biblical characters something they're not. Let me read something to you. This is an author of the commentary. It says, Brown notes that the Vulgate's faulty translation, and the Vulgate was the Latin translation of the Bible. And the Vulgate translates this as full of grace. Oh, Mary, full of grace. That is not what the Greek said. 
So Brown notes that the, the faulty translation gives rise to the medieval idea that Mary had every gift, not only spiritual but secular, even above those given to angels. Thus giving rise to the idea of Mary being a dispenser of grace, resulting in prayers being offered to her. The ultimate extension of this thinking came on December the 8th, 1854, when Pius IX declared the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception, teaching that from the first moment of her conception, the Blessed Virgin Mary was, by the singular grace and privilege of Almighty God, and view of the merits of Jesus Christ, Savior of mankind, kept free from the stain of original sin. A hundred and twenty, thirty, forty, fifty, sixty years ago, Pope Pius declared a doctrine that Mary never had original sin. You know why? Because they put her on a pedestal. They couldn't come to the grips that Mary was an ordinary girl who said yes to God. We must be careful that we don't place the characters of the Bible on a level that God did not intend. Mary was a product of God's grace, but Mary was not full of God's grace in the sense that she could dispense grace, and we pray for her, and she can intervene for us. There's one mediator between God and man. It's the man Christ Jesus. It's the man Christ Jesus. So be very careful when you think about Mary, when you think about these Bible characters. Let them be real. And as they become real, they really sink into our lives and help us as we journey. So... Mary said in verse 34 to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And this is not a statement of doubt. It's just a question. How is this going to happen? And the angels answered her and said, Well, the Holy Spirit... That doesn't surprise you, does it? It's all about God. Couldn't it be all about God? The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Think, Mount, those of you who are biblical, biblical folks know the Mount of Transfiguration as, as the glory overshadowed Jesus. The, the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing shall be impossible with God. Wow. It's gonna, let me tell you how this is going to marry. Ha- Mary, let me tell you how this is going to happen. God's going to do it. Would you let that soak in? Don't we beat our heads against the wall often as church leaders, as Christians? God, how? God, how? God, how? God, how? He says, why don't you experience grace and why don't you just have faith and let me handle it? Let me do it. That's how, that's how Mary was going to conceive. And by the way, I've got to back up because I didn't really finish in verse 32. He'll be great, called great and, and the Son of the Most High and the Lord God and give him the throne of her father David. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom will be no end. This is no, no less than the Savior of the world, God becoming flesh. And Mary says, how's that going to be? I'll take care of it. Oh, that we would trust God like that. And wasn't it cool that God sent an encouragement now, you understand, hold on, grab your chairs. There was no Facebook then. <laughs> Elizabeth didn't get on Facebook and to all her friends and say, I'm expecting. And he's going to be the, the prophet who precedes the Messiah. There was nothing like that. So Mary has not heard that her cousin Elizabeth is in the six months of pregnancy. So the angel shares the news. Look, you need this word, Mary. Because your cousin Elizabeth, remember she's old? Yeah, she's old. Well, guess what? 
Even though she was barren, she's now expecting a child as the sixth month. And just like God did that for Elizabeth, God can do this for you. Now, now what, if, what if she had not allowed Elizabeth to be real? Would that spoke to her heart? No. If we let these people speak into our hearts, all of a sudden it becomes real. Like God did it for this, they can do it for that. That's one of the greatest lessons of life is that, you know, when you look back and you're struggling in something right now, look back in your past and see how God delivered you last time. He hadn't changed. The same God. God of grace and God of mercy. And, oh, Mary, nothing is impossible with God. It's a lot to say after your pastor, but let's say it. Nothing is impossible with God. Repeat with me. Nothing is impossible with God. Now, again, since I've got one minute, don't, don't be whooping that out and saying, well, God, I want a new Mercedes Benz and nothing's impossible with God. I want a condo in Florida and nothing's impossible with God. I don't want to spend $7,000 for my daughter's braces. Nothing is impossible with God. No. But when God wills it, and God's driving forces there, in other words, that he wants it done, nothing's impossible with God. And God, I promise you, Mary, I promise you that God can pull this off. And then she ends it. I'll read it biblically, but I can say it in two words. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary said, Yes. Mary said, yes. So the big take, what is the big takeaway? The big takeaway is, is that over the next four weeks or next four weeks more, we're going to look at these biblical characters of Christmas. And we're going to do our best to step back into their world and experience what they experienced. And we're going to do our very best to look at them as real people, just like you and just like me. And then, like Mary did this week, be, let it be to me, I am the servant of the Lord, that we're going to seek to let God have his way in our life. That as God reveals truth from the Christmas story, that we're going to be willing to say yes. To say yes. Now, if you're visiting with us today or or perhaps it's your first time you just happened to, to come in this morning. You know, I hope you'll, you'll understand that right on the other side of that Christmas tree, there usually is a cross. And it really was a rescue plan. It was a plan that a simple mankind and a holy God could come together. Not by anything man could do, but simply by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and God's amazing grace. And whether you're black or white, green or yellow, whether you're rich or poor, and like I told those folks in Africa, it still rings my head, whether you think you've got a really short sin list or whether you've got a sin list that like with the naughty and, lost, uh, naughty and nice list with Santa Claus, it goes on and on and on. Whether you see your list short or long, God's grace is sufficient. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, this is Christmas, that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you're willing to admit to God that you've sinned, be willing to turn from that sin and trust in Jesus Christ for who he is and what he's done and then follow him. 
Forgiveness can be yours. Forgiveness can be yours. I'll be standing down front in just a moment as the team will come up in a few moments. And, and I would like to invite you. I'd be glad to talk with you. i got some friends here today who will share with you this amazing, amazing thing called God's grace. It's incredible. It's incredible. And if you're here today and you're already a Christ follower, would you journey with me over the next four weeks? And would you let these folks be real? Would you let their lives speak into your life? For the challenges and concerns that you face every day. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right there where you are and remain seated. And ask you please not to move unless you absolutely have to. This is God's time. This isn't something we tack on the end. This is your opportunity to let God work into your life. As I just mentioned, the first thing I'd like to say. Has God spoken to your heart today as a person like Abraham, would you have to call yourself a pagan and say, I don't know God. Has God spoken to you today? Would you like to know more about this man named Jesus? A carpenter, listen to this, a carpenter from nowhere that never traveled more than about 25 miles from his own hometown. And yet 2 billion people in the world identify Jesus and God. It's just incredible. Would you like to know about him? We have some friends who would share with you today. And as the team sings for us, you stand seated right there. Make your altar right there. I'll be down front. If you have a decision you'd like to make public, we'll be here to receive that. We have folks that can pray with you if you need someone to pray with you. So as the team sings, you let God work in your life.